0: Welcome to the Loverwork Podcast. This is Jeff. And Andre. I could not get you to stop talking.
1: What a woman speak. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: How to break through with your spouse, your partner. <laughs>
1: I've been thinking about this.
0: How did you handle this?
1: The man's kind of got it good.
0: I feel like you're getting off on a little bit of soapbox. This is me rolling my eyes. This is really great. I really... Rolling. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the Lover Work Podcast. This is Jeff, and I'm Andre. Lover Work is a project that we started just over a year ago, and we have been interviewing couples um, all over the nation on this topic of is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family?
1: Yeah, and we are starting with Kyle and Ashley Jones.
0: Yeah, Kyle and Ashley, what's Really interesting about this. This was the first ever interview that we did. Y'all
1: give us some grace.
0: Please have grace with us because it was a really unique situation. This is when we started with the Airstream. We were on this.
1: Oh, when we did this interview, we were outside. We were
0: outside. If you listen carefully, you may hear some cicadas.
1: Yeah, birds.
0: They were loud. It was loud. But it was a beautiful setting. It was an incredible weekend. This was the start to our entire Chattanooga. It was in Chattanooga on Lookout Mountain. We were literally on Lookout Mountain. That night actually was one of my favorite memories with my son the past year.
1: I know, but we're talking about our friends.
0: Yeah. This has nothing to do with that. Okay. So here's the deal. Kyle and Ashley Jones are the founders of Love Not Lost. And it's an incredible organization that is a response to their personal story.
1: Right. And- we want you to know straight up that this is going to be an episode that deals a lot with loss and grief. And that's within the family, with marriage, and we just want you to know that this is going to be kind of a different feel to
0: the podcast. Yeah, it's very serious. For some people this might, you might not be in the right season to listen to this and may bring some triggers. But there also this is a real part of marriage.
1: And I feel like it is a very redemptive story that they've got to bring to us today.
0: It's very beautiful. So uh, let's let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. Here is Kyle and Ashley Jones. First of all, thanks for joining us today in this amazing setting in front of the Airstream in an incredible farm. I don't know how we got, got to this, but this is where we're at. Tell mm. us a little bit about how your kind of love story. Like, how did you guys come... Mm come to fall in love in the early days? When was that? How did that happen? We could do the short version or the long version. Let's do the short version. We'll do the short. So that's me then.
2: Yep. That's you. Okay. (laughs) So one person's a longer talker than the other in short. (laughs) Uh, We met in college. We met during a summer break. Uh, We were both, we were both back in Atlanta. I was visiting a church that Ashley went to regularly and we both Ran into each other in a hall. We had a common common mutual friend and ended up going to lunch and chatted. And then we met up again a week no. later and chatted and
3: he's leaving out really important <clears throat> details. Oh, my goodness. Here's the long <laughs> version yes. coming. Oh, it's goodness. not Remember the that? long version. But it's important to note that we like I had a common friend, or I brought a friend. They knew him. So they were like, Todd, what's up? We go to lunch. And then Kyle's like content to leave. And I was like, no, dude, let me get your number. And he's like, no, really, it's okay. I don't want to give you my number. (laughs) So I was like, no, really, give me your number. I would like to have your number. So then he reluctantly gave it to me. And then I called him and that's why we're married.
2: (laughs) It took me a few weeks to be thankful for that. (laughs) But in retrospect, I'm very thankful. girl
3: pursuing. I like (laughs) it. pursuer. (laughs) I like it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: That's that's an important detail, I feel like. How long ago? How long ago?
2: 13 years ago. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So how long have you been married now?
2: Coming up on 10 years. 10 years. This is the big 10 year for us. <gasps>
1: mm-hmm. Exciting.
0: It's super exciting. It's oh, exciting. Cool. Okay. So then you got married and I would love for you to kind of right dig into some of the, a big piece of your story, right? Because yeah. we really, you know, when we talk on this, we're talking a lot about purpose and a big part of why we exist. And you guys have a unique, a unique story in the midst of that love relationship.
3: Yeah. So... We dated for three years, got married pretty young. We were 23 when we got married. And we knew we wanted to be parents, but we hadn't planned on being parents, like, super early. (laughs) So the first year of marriage was hard. Like, we definitely, it wasn't, like, you know, rainbows and butterflies or anything. It was just, but it wasn't awful. It was just, like, okay, like, two people coming together with separate lives and separate Interests and styles of living, like you know, it's work to bring that together. And we had a few things to learn, <laughs> a few things to learn. We learned them, and <laughs> and then we got
0: what was one of the learnings? I love the one first of the funny year. learnings of the first year. <laughs> I
3: love the first
0: um, year. Stuff. The funny one is the, the first week right after our honeymoon, the
2: bathroom.
3: We um, came back with a parasite from our honeymoon, and we only had one bathroom in our condo. And so Kyle was like on the pot and I was like about to explode. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, get up. And cause he was just like chilling there. And I'm like, dude, get off the pot. It probably wasn't
2: chilling <laughs> there. It's probably there very intentionally.
3: You're right, you're intentional. But sometimes you can just chill. And so I was like, dude, I don't, listen,
0: I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about. Guys never take their time oh going God. to the <laughs> restroom, right?
1: Don't even start never. with your 20 minutes.
2: <laughs> Bring a book. It was a it was a very rude awakening to um,
3: well, Kyle was like, like embarrassed, and we all yeah. have various
2: human functions. And uh,
3: <laughs> so I was like, dude, get, get up. Those, and please. he was like, dude, you can go in the t- in the bathtub. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going in the bathtub. Like, get off the pot. And so, yes, that was our first week of real marriage. Oh my goodness. That's a great story. Real life right there. We, real have, life. Yeah, we have two bathrooms now. <laughs> always,
1: always and forever.
3: Always. Just, right. I was like, I just want, like, for a long time, we only had one bathroom. Like, every house we went to, it was just like one bathroom. I was like, I just want two toilets. Like, just two toilets, please.
2: We will always, have, if one of those is an outhouse, out, yeah. we will always have two toilets now.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: So fast forward now from that first year.
3: So yeah, like a year, like our one year anniversary came along and we like toasted to no babies because Kyle's parents got pregnant with him like really quickly after their honeymoon. So on our one year we were like, yay, we made it a year with, you know, babies, like surprises, you know? And then, um, like three months later I was like, uh oh (laughs) like we might be pregnant (laughs) fertile genes um yeah super fertile and so we were like all right like I guess we're gonna be young parents and that was definitely a shock for us like there are so many emotions with that and so um I mean we were excited but it was definitely like it took time to get to that excitement level of this just radically changed our lives so and we were the first of all of our friends to get pregnant so we didn't have anyone to really like help us through it or tell us what to expect or you know and I didn't really like reading books especially like what to expect when you're expecting because I feel like everyone's story is so different but we just kind of rode the wave. Carried went out. It, yeah, right? yeah went with it and um and went through a great delivery and then at really one month old, um, I kind of noticed something wasn't quite right. And Skylar was our daughter and her right arm would come up like a chicken wing. And I had worked with severely handicapped kids enough to know that like that looked very much like cerebral palsy, like the contractures that they have. And so I was like, Oh crap. And I would pull her arm down and it would just like slowly come back up like a chicken wing and she wasn't controlling it.
2: It was really cute, for the record.
3: It was really cute. Um, it was like this little. Um, but I knew that something was, like, really wrong because I was like, dang, that's definitely neurological. Like, I don't know what's going on. But I was thinking still worst-case scenario would be, like, lifetime of physical therapy, maybe special needs. Like, I was not thinking anything worse than that. So I brought it up at our one-month checkup and was just like, you know, hey, Dr. Elliot, like, what can we do? And he's like, well, maybe it's just she's been swaddled a lot, like, take her out and work with her, but I'll send you to a specialist just in case it's something more severe. And uh, we went to a brachial plexus specialist, and it just happened to be on a snow day in Atlanta. So, like, everything shuts down. And I was like, I'm getting to the doctor's office because they only had these certain appointments like once a month. So I get there, the doctor's asking me, like, these crazy specific questions that I could tell he was like trying to get at something and just wouldn't come out and tell me. And so I'm leaving the office still not knowing. He said he was going to do some favors and call neurologists for me to get me in like as soon as possible, which was like major red flag because he didn't know me. So like, why would he do any favors for me like that? So I was like, it has to be pretty serious for him to do that. And then I'm like leaving. And because it was a snow day, like all the lights were off in the building, except for the emergency lights. And it was like a movie. He was standing like really far down the hallway, like right underneath a light in the hallway. So he was lit up, the whole hallway is dark and I'm like leaving and I look over my shoulder and it was just like this, like overwhelming wave of pity that just like followed me out the door. And I was like, like, what does he know that he's not telling me, you know? So I get a call from the pediatrician and he's like, it's not good. And I was like, well, you know, what are we talking about? Like, are we talking about cerebral palsy? Like, are we talking about, you know, something else? Like, just tell me. And he's like, I really don't want to do this on the phone, but um, it's not good. And, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about it when you get to your two month appointment, which was like at that point, just a week away. And I was like, you're going to torture me for this whole week. Like, you need to tell me. And in retrospect, like, it probably wouldn't have been torture because I still wasn't thinking, like, worst-case scenario was that bad. But he listed off five things that it could be. And they were all, like, like uh, three letters, like, different letters arranged in different ways. So one of them was SMA. And he said, if you make the really bad decision to go home and Google these, because I had a flip phone at the time, <laughs> then he was like, you can call me at any time of day or night, here's my cell phone number. And I knew that it was really bad because no pediatrician gives his cell phone number to a first time mom and says, call me anytime, day or night. So I, I was like, well, you just tell me, since I don't have internet, like worst case scenario, what are we talking about? Are we talking about surgeries? Are we talking about, you know, lifetime physical therapy, like more surgeries? Like what, what's, and he was, he just like was silent for a minute. And I just waited, and he said, premature expiration. And I was like, I mean, the wind just, like, left my lungs. I was just like, what? (laughs) Like, death? Like, is that what you mean? Death? Like, what? And so I just, I mean, it just took the wind right out of me. I couldn't, like, my heart sank, and I just didn't think that was a possibility at all. So I was actually in Home Depot picking up some brackets for Kyle And I just start, like, hysterical crying and, like, all the orange aprons, like, ran out of the aisles, like, in opposite directions. (laughs) And I, like, call him and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, something's really wrong with Skylar. Like, I haven't even had time to, like, look these things up, but, like, it's not good. And he was like, come home. We'll talk about it together. Just be safe. So we got home and sure enough, we Googled SMA and Skylar had every single symptom and showing. So say what SMA is. So SMA is spinal muscular atrophy. So it's very much like ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, but in babies. Mm -hmm. So it's a degenerative muscle disease. So what's the life expectancy usually? So it's different than, than it is now. So back then Skylar had the more severe form and most babies didn't see their first birthday. Now there's treatments that extend the life a lot longer. Okay. And so what happened to Skylar?
2: Um, we, I guess we had a surgery when she was, what, three months? Three and a half, yeah. That forced her into feeding tube. It was like the first major kind of step, like.
3: She had started like, losing her swallow. Yeah, she lost her, her ability swallow. ability to and- swallow. So she would choke while feeding
2: So So she had a surgery to close off her stomach and insert a a feeding tube into her stomach. And that was kind of like the first step of like, you know, this is real. This is like starting to see her decline. And when did she first like, was it about a year, right?
1: When she, when we
2: first saw like 10 months Mm -hmm. that she, I don't know, she got sick or just really declined really fast, Was having a really hard time breathing, getting oxygen and... We thought we were losing her and we started like contacting hospice and um, ended up speaking with some doctors that really helped out with her breathing and some of her equipment. And so it got, you know, she got better really fast, which is exciting. I think it was the one time in her life that it seemed like she actually like got better instead of getting worse. And-
3: there was a, a researcher out in Utah that we actually contacted because we had her on hospice. And we said, like, her organs are crap, so we can't really donate them to save anyone else. But, like, we really believe in helping other people and, like, organ donation. So that's kind of, like, crappy. If we can't donate the organs, like, we'd love to help. So this researcher, Dr. Swoboda, had dedicated her career and has still dedicated her career to trying to help SMA families. So we called her and said, you know, if there's anything that you can use from her body, you're welcome to take it. We're on hospice. We just wanted to let you know. And she's the one who was like, why are you on hospice? Like, there's still so much more you can do. And, you know, we thought like being in Atlanta, you have children's health care of Atlanta, you have Emory, you have, you know, like some really great hospitals, Northside, Piedmont. And they're, there were very, very few people who had even heard of or had experience with SMA. And so we were left as parents to be her main advocate and, and research on our own to, like, take care of her. Because a lot of doctors were like, I've heard of this, but I've never treated anybody, so I don't really know how to help you. Mm. And we also learned, like, if we called 911, like, most people wouldn't know how to help us. If they got to her house. And so that was really scary as parents. Cause we were like the only line of defense that we could really rely on. So anyway, the researcher was like, well, there's still so much more you can do. Here's how you, you change your breathing machine to help her at night be supported with BiPAP. And these are the limits you can safely push her to. And it was limits that the other pulmonologist wasn't comfortable with. And so she was like, I've done this with so many kids. It's fine. It's fine. You can push her to this level. And I was like, okay, great. So she taught us how to break into our machine and change the settings and doubled her life. So she got better and then
2: celebrated her her one-year birthday. We had a big party. That was fun. And then um, it was a gradual decline from that point. And we kind of like started seeing the exact same signs again at what, like 20 Twenty-one months. Really, like,
3: 18 months. And then from 18 months to 21 months, we just knew, like, we had reached our limit of being able to push her past that breathing point. And so, at that point, she was on full-time BiPAP, which is essentially, like, life support. And she couldn't breathe on her own at all.
2: We would had a neurologist. One of our first visits to the neurologist, kind of, like, he leveled with us, really just straight. It was like, this is what you're up against. And you need to start thinking about end of life. And like, you're a parent, you have to make these decisions for your child. And there's the natural route to take this. And there's the forced, like technological route. And this is a big issue with like, ethics and medicine right now. And like, it's, it's up to you as parents, what you think is best for your family and your child. He's like, this is a hard decision. You need to start thinking about it now.
3: Before have, emotions are involved. Yeah,
2: before. That's and good
3: advice. It mm-hmm.
2: was great advice, and it was like probably the hardest decision we'll we've made, and probably will ever make um, to s- decide like how how far do we use technology, and you know how far do we honor you know this
3: natural process. Yeah,
2: and the life that like the variables,
0: the circumstances that have fallen our way. So Skylar lived to be how old?
3: 21 months.
0: 21 months. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that must have just been, I guess guess the interesting thing is you were processing that potential situation for that whole, really from 19
3: months long,
0: 19 months. Yeah. From her second month. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah.
0: And um, tell us like that. I don't know if you guys had like a a ceremony or something. What what did you end up doing at the end of uh at the end of that uh was it what did you say 21 months? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Hun. She passed away
2: 6 years ago. What? 2 days ago?
3: Yeah, August 16th, 2011. And I mean, I think one thing then part of what I love about Kyle, which I said at the beginning, is that he's very intentional and very thoughtful and so really like we started her decline or we start, started seeing her decline and Kyle started building her casket box wow. um, and so he like yeah
2: well it's an interesting process like i mean we had t- the nice thing about it was we knew this was coming and we had the luxury of thinking through this stuff and like planning Apparently. that and mm-hmm. kind of like how do you how do you honor the death of a 21 21- 21 month old. It's not your 98 year old, like great grandmother that you like had a full
3: life and you know, you feel good about her burial
2: plot when she was 60 and like that kind of thing. And you know, how do you, you don't, do you just go to your local like cemetery and, and like bury your child there? Like there was a lot of, it brought up a lot of questions and like, you know, we have to face our own mortality too. And, um, it was, Hard decisions, hard thoughts, but good. I think
1: probably helped you process yeah, even more absolutely. I'm sure building that.
2: And just like mm-hmm. what do we think about death and how does our society like handle death right now? And well, I started and looking into that and realized our society doesn't handle death. Not only they do not very well, they don't do it at all.
3: To be fair, like I do think like I saw I think I saw a lot more than Kyle did with other (laughs) families because I'm the extrovert and I would try and connect with people who are going through similar situations. And Kyle was very like, this is our journey. I don't necessarily want to.
2: Well, and you were also basically her full-time caregiver. Yeah,
3: I was. I quit my work and was her full-time mom and caregiver during that time. So like I did see other kids who were on BiPAP full-time or even trached full-time that still had a good quality of life. I think the difference is Skylar's situation, like she had a lot more internal problems that we couldn't figure out. So it wasn't just breathing that was the problem. It was like, there are other things that are causing her pain and that are breaking down that we just can't even know about. And so we don't want to extend her life, pushing her to last on this breathing machine if she's suffering inside with other issues that we just can't even know about. And so that was a hard thing too. Cause it was like, you know, we don't have all the information. And so we're trying to like make this decision the best we can. And, and then to like with the, we, we did have a memorial service for her after she passed away. So we ended up choosing to do a natural burial. And basically what that means is there's, a few natural cemeteries around the U S that basically, and Kyle kind of looked in more, you, maybe you can tell them like specifically what requires.
2: Yeah. It's basically just all natural materials. You can't put any chemicals or preservatives in the ground and Mm -hmm. it's basically got to be things that are going to biodegrade naturally.
3: So,
1: so there's all this research and there's all these statistics. I'm going to transition a little bit to the after, Mm -hmm. but Especially with like parents who maybe ha- who have very sick kids and mm-hmm. um either any kind of disease, it doesn't matter, but just the crazy divorce rate mm-hmm. right? yeah, I'm, I'm sure you've read about this and researched yeah. it, and ninety percent yeah, ninety percent so what during and then especially, I'm sure after how how did this impact your marriage in that way, and how did you not become the 90% (laughs) statistic that's out
2: there. I remember having this conversation. I remember like getting the bright idea. Like how many, how many couples like survive this? And just like Googling, like some, like, I don't know, found this statistic that seemed reasonable and it was not in our favor. And I came home and talked to Ashley. I was like, dude, we got to like, we need to just be really honest with this. Like, this is going to be hard. It already is. We're already in survival mode. Like, I did not like my job and it was just not an option to quit. And that's, you know, that was fine, but that was stressful. Obviously our, everything was stressful, it was survival mode. And we didn't get to spend tons of time together and we were just like basically staring divorce in the face. It was to just be real about it. And we're like, we love each other. We want to stay together. We need to like be proactive about this. And so we looked into counseling and started seeing counselors before Skylar even passed away because we knew it was really tough.
3: Well, and I wanted wanted a counselor to know me when I was, like, quote, unquote, normal, like, before Skylar passed away because I was, like, Mm -hmm. I could go off the deep end. Like, I don't know. Um, So, like, I want at least a counselor to have, like, a baseline of, like, what normal not-so-crazy Ashley might be. But then also, like, I mean, I think it's really hard when you're – facing a terminal diagnosis or a special needs kid or or something that stretches you so thin because everything is amplified like a million times over. So like a stressful day at the office, you know, like normally you can come home and process that and then like rest and then go back to it the next day. But like Kyle would come home and like there would be days where like Skylar turned blue and I would like resuscitate her and he would come home from work and I'd just be completely emotionally exhausted because like we almost lost her that day. And I would be like, I need a break, dude. Like, I just need to go outside for 15 minutes and like breathe and like have some quiet. And he was like, I had a really long day at work. Like, I just need to eat and go to bed. And I'm like, I'm going to freaking kill you (laughs) because I've been taking care of our daughter all day. She almost died. Like I need a break, you know? And so that was really, really hard. Like we, we fought that tension for a really long time and it was really hard because the like we needed we both needed breaks and we didn't have the space for them and so one of the things that we recognized i
0: think that i think that's a really interesting like we both need breaks and we didn't what was the statement again you said we both need breaks
3: we didn't have the space for them we didn't
0: have the space for them i think that's i have a feeling that's a common Common. Nobody's given language to that. It's it's hard to give that language, but that's when you have kids, when you don't have kids, Mm -hmm. when you're both working, when when you're struggling through all the stresses in real life. That's a anyway. Keep going.
3: Yeah. So, I think one thing that we really recognized was that going through what we did, we were both doing the best that we could, and it still wasn't good enough. And That was a really hard realization, too, because it was just like, I'm doing everything I can to, like, take care of Skylar, keep the house clean, like, still do all of, like, the house chores and, Mm -hmm. you know, wife stuff. And then Kyle was doing everything he could to, like, keep his job, pay the bills and do all that. And, like, we were we were getting all of, like, the to do's done and we had, like, nothing left for the emotional side And so it was, like, very, very challenging because we just didn't have anything left to give.
1: So So after she passed, then, obviously, you have all of a sudden this wide Mm -hmm. open space of, like, a Mm -hmm. big load kind of removed in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. like lifted. And obviously, you know. Not in terms of that's what you wanted, but just that caretaker role Mm -hmm. was gone. And then that coming home stress was kind of gone. So what did y'all do with that? It
2: was like, it was weird. It was such a massive relief and you couldn't enjoy it because you're not supposed to feel relief. So like the guilt. Yeah.
1: The guilt of that. And then just
2: like, you know, and then grief comes in and it's like trying to figure out how we, we each grieve differently and we're, massively changed human beings at this point from who we were just a few years prior when we were dating and and like it wasn't changed together it was changed to survive and so it's like you know it took a lot of time starting at that point to like relearn about each other and come back together and i -hmm. think in some ways we're definitely still like trying to figure that out in different areas of life Yeah, that's just. I mean, that's just marriage and life in general. Yeah, but but, I
1: think yeah, you marry a certain person, right, in the beginning, and then you guys had this huge traumatic experience, and all of a sudden you're two separate people totally than you were when you started, and it's like okay, so we are different now. How do we become like married to this new person again, right?
2: Yeah, and and it was very intentional choice.
3: Well, and one of the hardest things for grief was. Kyle grieved so differently as a man and an introvert and I grieved so differently as a woman and an extrovert that like our grief felt like we were going in completely opposite directions and it was easy to believe in a, like a lie of this isn't working because we're going in two different directions. But it was like a realization that I had one day of, it's just our grief that's pulling us in different directions. It's not our marriage. Mm -hmm. And so if we can really focus on communicating through grief, like we can still save our marriage.
0: If there was another couple going through, not even the same scenario, because your scenario is very unique, Mm -hmm. um, but grieving through some scenario, it could be, it could be a child. It could be, Maybe it could be their parents. I'm, I'm curious what advice you might give as you're, I mean, you're still processing it. I'm sure every day you said two days ago, mm-hmm.
3: what, Was there six, six years since she died,
0: six years. So you, mm-hmm. there's probably every time that happens, you you process through <laughs> yeah. that again. Right. So what, what did you learn that you could share with someone else about the grieving process as a couple? Patience
2: and lots of grace. That's the short version.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to keep communicating. So like asking questions like and not just assuming that, you know, how the other person feels, even though you've known them for so long. I think it's really Mm -hmm. easy to just assume like, oh, yeah, like it's been six years, so he's fine or it's been or whatever. Like you can just assume a lot of things. And I think it's always important to stay curious and ask questions and be really mindful of like your words and your actions and how they affect the other person because like we just last week um we like you know her six-year anniversary is coming up and Kyle was like I'm fine now like it doesn't really bother me this day doesn't bother me so he just assumed that that day didn't bother me either because it's been six years and he was saying like you know I haven't felt like very loved this week like you haven't really like wanted to do anything. And I'm like, I'm kind of depressed this week. Like I don't want to do anything because like this still weighs really heavy on me. And like, when I close my eyes, I like replay holding her and having to put her dead body in the ambulance and watch them drive away.
2: Yeah. And I've made like, and I asked Ashley, I was like, I feel, I feel bad because I've made the intentional decision to forget this day. Like, I love her birthday, and I love my memories with my daughter. And I, asked, I was like, is it bad that, like, I've intentionally chosen to, to like, not remember the day she died? Um, I have enough images cemented in my head of that. I don't want to remember the date. And I I really, like, I don't remember it. Um, and and so, I, I like, it didn't occur to me this past week that this is the week my daughter, like, the anniversary of my daughter's death. Hmm. And... And I have all these friends, and like my parents say, like, "Hey, we're thinking of you today." I am like, "What? Oh, that's why." And like, and I had as to ask. I was like, "Is that is that bad? Like, I feel like I am being a bad father because I am not remembering that." Like, I, it's just funny that the conversations you have, well, past,
3: yeah,
0: when those things occur. Like, this will be our life. Like, this yeah. is a lifelong thing. Now, so uh, related to this conversation on the broader scale, we're we're always talking about like you know, how do you be living out your purpose in life? How do you stay married? How do you raise a family? Can all those things happen? Mm -hmm. And in the midst of this story for you, it ended up becoming a purpose, Mm -hmm. right? So can you explain what you're doing now? Sure. uh, So we can share that with other people.
3: Sure. It might be helpful if I tell a story like during Skylar's life. So right (laughs) before, sorry, (laughs) so weird. (laughs) Right before her first surgery that we talked about. The doctors let us know like she's fragile and she might not make it through surgery. So I called a friend of mine who I knew took pictures and I said, hey, we don't have any pictures together as a family. And if she doesn't make it through surgery, like I will hate myself for not having photos. So could you please just like come take pictures of our family just in case she doesn't make it? And she did. And the great thing was We had these beautiful photos. Skylar made it through with flying colors. And we continued on just celebrating life together, watching animated movies and, you know, going going out as much as we could. And then a few months later, a friend of ours donated and gifted us a portrait session for our family, like when Skylar was around seven months old. Well, that photographer had two nieces with SMA. And so she was like, oh, my gosh, I've been looking for a way to give back to SMA. I didn't think I would ever meet a family here. I absolutely want to give these pictures to you for free. And she, like, continued to support our family through photography and also had, like, a photographer fundraiser for us. So that was really, really powerful and meaningful. And when Skylar died, like, as a photographer, I knew the value of photos and I knew Like they're nice to have and they preserve memories, but I didn't really realize how impactful they were until Skylar was gone because then I recognized, okay, I can't get any of those moments back with her like at all. She's gone. Like, so the photos that I have are all I have left to look at. And the other thing is through grieving Like, our society kind of sucks at grieving. Like, no one's really taught us how to grieve. No one's really, like, helped us or kind of worked through that. And so there's a lot of fear around grief, like, people fearing and being afraid that they're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or whatever. And then there's also, like, expectation, too, of, okay, if I'm going to go over to Ashley's house now and it's been a week after Skylar's died, she's probably going to be a mess. And then they would come in expecting me to be a mess. And well, maybe I was a mess the day before and I was fine that day. And people were like, wait, why aren't you crying? Like, I don't know. So there's just a lot of fear and expectation and judgment and then like feeling, like my feeling a need to, you know, be strong for other people or whatever. Well, photos freed me from all of that. So they really gave me a space to grieve however I needed to grieve, whether that was just like sitting and ugly crying or just like sitting and being present with the pain or reliving some of the memories we had together like it was just fe- like completely free of judgment and expectation and fear and so it was just a really safe space to grieve and that was really powerful for me um
2: well and i mean because we changed so much through that mm-hmm. like we lost a lot of friendships And we gained a lot of new friendships and new relationships, but there were a lot of people that had never met our daughter. And so we had these like, it was really nice to have these great photos, like this is our daughter, like this is a massive part of who we are and to be able to share that.
1: We talk about a lot with marriage, just how much community is like so essential to... Asking us the hard questions, keeping us kind of together, you know, just those, like, just supportive roles. And you touched on it a minute. It was, like, a quick, like, we lost a lot of friends, gained new friends. Tell me about how community has impacted y'all or saved your marriage or helped y'all through all of this. Hmm.
2: That's a lot and a loaded question. It's like on every level, everything from people like when we had Skylar, people just like coming over and hanging out or helping out or bringing food to like after Skylar passed away, people being willing to like sit with us and either do what we needed, help us out or just like awkwardly sit there and maybe it was like sitting on the front porch and not saying anything um or talking through stuff or like we have a couple friends that like looking back we can laugh at it now we're like very very gracious with us I'm sure we were a total mess and they just like they put up with us and they sat with us and that was like that was the best thing they could have done for us
3: we like went back and apologized to people because we were like I'm so sorry you had to like be with us during that time, like we were probably awful and annoying. Cause we just like, we're struggling. And so everything that we talked about was just like problems, you know, cause yeah. that's what our life was. So it was just, just problems to have
2: a lot of grace for us was huge
3: and love. Like one thing I talked about earlier was just, we felt like we had nothing left to give each other. And certainly after she died, like our hearts were just broken and shattered. And I don't feel like we had love left to give because our hearts weren't capable and so Mm. like Kyle was broken I was broken and we weren't able to love each other well but because we had our church community our family our friends loving us like that gave us the strength and the love to love each other and I think that if we didn't have that community support loving us I don't know that we would have made it
2: no it's an incredible gift yeah for sure
3: I think that's a beautiful like
1: testimony of community and what that means and how that adds to marriage that we don't really realize probably mm-hmm. during the time, you know, cause you're just devastated hmm. and you're just at like breaking and that's it. But mm-hmm. to like
3: be able to look back on it and see that now. And
0: I think it's beautiful. So now you're trying to do that for others, right?
3: Yes. So basically I started a photography business and anytime I heard of anyone facing a terminal diagnosis, I would just volunteer sessions and I would say, Hey, this really meant a lot to us. Like, I would love to do this for you if you want it. Well, so my intent was just like donating the session and giving people the images like digitally. But then (laughs) like, I really love gift giving. So Mm -hmm. I would give away like prints and artwork and books. And Kyle was like, whoa, it snowballed (laughs) very quickly. (laughs) Kyle was like, I love your giving heart, but like, you're going to have to pull that back because we have bills to pay and you are like costing us money now. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I was like, all right, well, I really feel like this is my purpose. Like from everything that we've been through my unique giftings, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I'll figure out another way to do it. So that's really when I started developing the nonprofit. And the early name was going to be the Skylar Project. And I'd actually gone to a plywood retreat with the Skylar Project that I was, like, ready to start. <laughs> and as we kind of developed through the 501c3 filing and board of directors and everything... Um, the tagline for the Skylar project was going to be Love Not Lost. And we just recognized, hey, this might be a better universal name. And it communicates really like what we're about. And so Love Not Lost became the nonprofit organization name. And so we photograph people facing a terminal diagnosis and give free portrait sessions and then really beautiful handcrafted albums
0: And so if there was someone going through a terminal illness with their children Mm -hmm. or if someone wants to get involved in it, what would they do?
3: They could go to our website, which is lovenotlost.org. We're also across social media at lovenotlost.org. And yeah, they can apply online for sessions. They can follow us on social media. They can donate through the website um we have lots of opportunities to get involved with volunteers for events and stuff like that. So we would love to, you know, have people who are connected to our cause join us.
0: And now it's time for the breakdown.
1: Yes. That was a little intense. I was crying. But it was also beautiful. Really, really beautiful.
0: Yeah, it was a really special story. And from our standpoint, there was some the moments it was that were Unique to us because our kids were just, they were in the airstream and in the midst of it. Like I think we were- they
1: were like singing Frozen at one point <laughs> and we had to stop the podcast. <laughs> but really in terms of what we learned or definitely something that hit me was how they really talked about allowing each person to grieve in their own way without any judgment or expectations. And I think that's so wise and beautiful to think about and just how we deal with hardships in life is so different in a partnership and yet we somehow expect each other to do it the same way Mm -hmm. but we're different people and need and require different things Um, and
0: we all grieve very differently
1: yes and just allowing that to be Mm -hmm. even if it's different or even if it's yeah not the same but
0: Yeah. And, uh, one of the stats that they mentioned that the divorce rate among couples who lose a child is 90%. That's crazy. Which is really,
1: and they're, this is like their 10 year anniversary, like they're on 10 years and Mm -hmm. that's amazing.
0: But I, and I, and I think that it still comes back. It's a constant that just never goes away. Um, every year they have that, um, that time where they go through that season again and again and again. And, It's a hard, it's just a hard thing to process, but I think we need to keep that in mind. Whether you've gone through a loss or you have a friend that has, I think this, to hear the vulnerability that they shared with us about their personal story is something that was really, really valuable.
1: Right. And I mean, and when you talk about how it doesn't really ever go away, I think that's why when they talked about the importance of counseling and how they are still going, they're still using, like, preventative, um, when they know it's going to be a hard month, when that they're still, you know, really intentionally trying to deal with it and talk about the things that are hurting still.
0: Yeah, there is a there is an idea that has really stuck with me ever since this interview. It's this idea that our purpose can be found in the most painful experiences of life. I think a lot of times when we look at purpose, we think, what were we when we were born? What were we made to do? Like that's the question people ask, right? Right. Which, but the reality is that over life experience, mm-hmm. we have turning points in our life that define where we're going. Yeah. And this is a great story of one of, I mean, a life-changing moment for them mm-hmm. that all of a sudden became a lot of why they exist today.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think the other part is, is they were not afraid to use even a bad life-changing moment, right? I think so many of us hide from those life-changing moments or push them, you know, to the side and say, well, that was a really terrible, hard, bad experience. Now I'm going to jump back on the train and turn it around to something else. Instead, they use that they used the brokenness, they used the vulnerability, they used all of that and have turned that into such a beautiful, positive organization that they're running
0: now. Yeah, I mean, on a personal level for me, basically this is the process I went through in defining my purpose in life. We walked with a guy that, that was building a life plan for me and he basically said, what were the turning points in your life? What were the hardest moments? What were the best moments in life? And he learned from that, why I exist. And, and I know there's people listening to this, that that's not what they originally thought they were going to learn from this, but it's not the original thing that I was going to learn from this, but walking away, I'm going, wow, like these moments that define who we are end up becoming why we exist, you know? And I think that's just something I'll never forget about these two people.
1: They're amazing, and we're so thankful for their sharing their loss, sharing their vulnerability, and you guys need to really check them up, out. Yeah, go to
0: lovenotlost.org, And um, again, if there is something in this that really resonated with you, please share it online, but also share it with your friends. You may be having a friend that you're like, man, this could be an encouragement to them. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why Kyle and Ashley share this story is to encourage others so make sure you do that this is another episode love or work